Oh, snap! The world is finally waking up to the crap that's baked into and sprayed on kibble dog food. No longer can commercial pet food manufacturers fool us with pretty pictures and false promises. This is the raw dog food truth. The view and opinions expressed on this podcast are not intended to replace medical advice. Before starting any raw diet, do research, ask lots of questions, and consult your vet. Well, hello, Raw Feeders. I'm Dee Dee Mercer Moffat, the CEO of Raw Dog Food and Company. We are Pets Health is our business, and we're friends. Don't let friends feed kibble. Well, today is Friday, and you know what that means. That means Dr. Judy Jasek is here with us. Good morning, Dr. Jasek. Good morning. Happy to be here, as always. I know you are. You are just a happy person all the way around. I don't know. I I don't know about that. Uh, You could, my husband might tell you something different, but. (laughs) Well, he might, but I've never (laughs) seen you angry or upset or anything like that. So that's cool. I think you have a positive outlook. You know, we were talking before the podcast, Um, whatever's coming down the pike, right? In this crazy world that we're in right now, you and I both agree that if you can step outside of the box, if you are that person that can look at other options, other opportunities, you're going to be okay. It may be uncomfortable, but you're going to be okay. Yeah. And I think, and I think you have to keep moving forward. You know, we were chatting about, you know, our businesses a bit and the most frustrating thing for me is like to kind of be stuck in limbo where you just don't really know what direction to go. There's so much uncertainty in the world. And that does, that can get depressing. Like there's so much uncertainty. And so you do have to be careful. I mean, I think it's definitely a time for wise choices, but it doesn't mean you need to completely sit still either. You know, you can move forward and, you know, like we were talking, I'm looking at, looking at a bigger space that we found that we could get a really, really good deal on that, you know, just might work to move our clinic out of the house and maybe even be able to offer more services eventually. But we're careful about how much we are going on the hook for and and you know we want to make sure that whatever we do we can afford it if we do get into some hard times and you know our income goes down or whatever so i think i think you need to be careful but i think you gotta you know if if you can if you can think outside the box and think about what what people will need i think about what pets will need and well we're talking about maybe treating people too um you know, diversify and what, what can you bring to the world? You know, everybody has skills and, you know, maybe you need to think a little bit outside the box. How can you use your skills to benefit the world? Maybe make a little side money or barter or something. Everybody's got something they can do and contribute. And I, th- I think that's the way we need to be thinking. Cause I do think our system, current system, our financial system and healthcare system, I think it's, it's going down the tube. So but the exciting thing about that is also gives us a chance to create something way, way better. Well, right. And, you know, if people run out of money and they still need help for their dogs, I mean, we got to figure out how we can do some bartering system with the, you know, yeah. to keep those dogs healthy. So that's awesome. You'll be able to do that. And I hope that people will get hooked up with you now, get in uh, with your private membership association so that they're on uh, the books and that they can get in because you're just getting busier and busier and busier and you're up for this um, this very cool thing with Dr. Becker, which 
Dr. Becker, if you guys don't know her, she's at healthypets.mercola.com. She has about 2 million fans uh, on her site. But um, you are up for the Game Changers in the Companion Animal World, an award for that, which is awesome. Someone has nominated you, and rightfully so. So uh, you might get just really busy uh, pretty soon, Dr. Jasek. No. With that it's one. like, be careful what you wish for, right? Because, uh, you know, we just, we just need more people. We need more vets. You know, like we're talking, like I could help other vets get started doing this and help other people do these treatments um, and do the things that we do. Just need the people that are open to learning about this. So, you know, anybody that's got a vet that they want or it's interested in learning these things, you know, tell them to contact me because I'm more than happy to do that. Yeah. I I think that uh, we absolutely, with all of the corporatocracy taking over in the veterinary world, we've got to get more vets on board that are willing to step outside of that box so that they can treat the pets and keep them healthy. Now, one of the things that um, we were talking about is there's this thought or misconception or narrative, maybe all three, that um, people believe that it is a law that their dogs have to be vaccinated if they're taken in to a clinic. However, that clinic is the one who's setting that precedence. Is that correct? There's no real law that says your dog has to have all of their vaccines before they Mm -hmm. can be treated. There's no, there's no such law and it's not illegal for a veterinarian to treat a dog that's not vaccinated. It's, they're not going to lose their license. That's just, it's, it's, it's all a big lie. We are expected to inform people, even with vaccines like rabies that have laws around them. It's personal choice, whether somebody's, somebody gets a rabies shot for their pet or not. It, and it goes back on the pet parent. If something happens, say the dog got out, got picked up by animal control. They didn't currently have a rabies. They don't go back to the veterinarian that they saw last and say, why didn't you vaccinate this pet? They it's, it's on the person. So that, that has the pet, the pet parent, that that's who animal control is going to deal with. So you know, I inform people, I say, if you don't have a rabies, current rabies shot, you could run into these scenarios, you know, health wise, I think dogs are way better off without the vaccines, but you know, I respect people's personal choices. Some people, they want to take their pet on an airplane. They're going to have to get a rabies shot. I, I don't know any workaround to that unless you just take the chance that they don't check paperwork, which a lot of times they don't, but you know, do you, do you want to risk being, you know, held up at the airport? Most people don't. So they get a rabies shot. So that's their choice. Um, so I give people full, I feel like I give people full informed consent and I give people all these options. Somebody brings a puppy in. Okay. We can do a really reduced vaccine protocol, just do monovalent vaccines, or you can do homeopathic nosotes, which are super safe, or you can opt to do no vaccines, you know? And I mean, it's, it's people's choices. There are absolutely no laws that require a, a veterinarian to give a pet a vaccine before they treat them. It's absurd. I mean, even hear that being said, it, it doesn't even make any sense. There's a lot of things that don't make sense in the world today. Yeah. 
absolutely <laughs> <That's> an understatement. <laughs> you know, don't make sense. I mean, when uh, you look at what they're trying to do in in the uh, in the meat industry, right? So they're trying to bring these impossible burgers in, but these impossible burgers are made of GMO soy, GMO soy, which has been shown to cause organ damage in animal studies, and uh, and so it's like. The ingredients of the Impossible Burger includes genetically modified yeast and uh, unde undisclosed and untested um, other things in there. But yet they want to bring these in because it is so good for the world. But if you really read the articles, you really read the information, it's not good for the world. It's not good for the soil. It's not going to be good for our pets and certainly not for people when you have a corporation a private mm -hmm. corporation owning our food supply. It's not been good in the veterinary world where our independent veterinarians have sold out. Certainly, I understand why, because you guys really just want to treat pets. You don't want to deal with the whole business of the business, right? It's overwhelming. But once that happens, then these, you know, okay, well, we need this many, you know, profits coming out of your of your place and it's just not going to be good guys not going to be good so i think that mm -hmm. before you buy into this green you know deal um that they always like to to push we really need to get the facts but but yeah. who cares about facts these days dr jason i mean come on do we really need facts do we well i'll tell you what what my thing is is who do you believe these days because I mean, I think getting the right information is really important, but how do you know what that is? Even, you know, like we listen to a lot of alternative media, but then you hear about some people come out and some of these alternative media channels, and then turns out that they're not really telling, or they're, they're hooked into the other side too. And they might be just pushing out propaganda that the powers that be want us to hear. So you, you really do have to be just so very careful. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would agree. I would agree with that. I always say, look at the people that have the most to lose. <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. And come on, if we're not, you talk about this these genetically modified burgers or whatever. I mean, if you're not eating real food, you are not going to be healthy. I mean, come on. I mean, that's just common sense. I, I can't believe that people would, would buy into this, that this is that this is a good thing and food it can be raised completely sustainably and humanely and good you know good for people good for the environment cows are not causing global warming no matter what you hear i mean that's just a bunch of bunch of bunk um, if they're raised properly and raised down on the land then they actually improve the environment um, so all this stuff you're hearing that, oh, our animals and now like bird flu, you know, bird flu is now back and, and, you know, suppliers are having to slaughter millions of birds again. Oh my God. I, in my opinion, that's just a raise up food prices. You know, I, I mean, I don't really trust these diseases. I think, I think a lot of them are just made up personally I, because they just, when you look at, they come out with a new thing, like, oh, bird flu is coming. Okay. What's, what's in it for them. Well, if they want to sell fake meat, what better way to do it than to wipe out the meat supply? And nobody's going to have a choice. They're going to have to eat the fake meat because there isn't going to be anything else 
to eat. So, you know, when things start to not make sense, just follow the money. Yeah. You know, I was, I was looking in this article from the defender about this fake meat and there was an email sent to impossible foods. Okay. Who are the people who are creating this? And they said, how could the H-E-M-E, so I don't know if that's Hemi uh, or Heme, I'm not sure how you spell it, but there's, but it's in the Impossible Burger. And they said, how could this, I'm going to say, what do you think it is pronounced like H-E-M-E, Dr. J? I would Heme. say Heme. Okay, like Heme. Hemoglobin, but. Yes. Okay, so how Heme. could the Heme in the Impossible Burger be identical to the Heme humans have been consuming for hundreds yeah. of thousands of years in meat and other foods if you genetically engineer it? And that question has yet to be answered by Impossible Foods. Yeah. It's because like, it can't. Right? <laughs> And uh, yeah, so it it is just, it's, it's very frightening. It's very frightening. But Dr. Jasek, when you scare the public, they will buy things and do things that are not in their best interest for themselves or their pets. We've seen it over and over and oh. over again. Right. Absolutely. I mean, look at the crappy diets. I mean, you know, you want to see the effects of artificial genetically modified foods. Just look at how sick the pets have gotten eating kibble and, you know, these, these highly processed foods, even the canned foods that aren't much better. A lot of them are just kibble with a bunch of water added to it. They have the same crappy ingredients, but our pets have just gotten sicker and sicker and sicker on this stuff, but it's okay, going to be okay for people to eat this stuff and, and be healthy. I don't think so. I don't either. I got it. I got an email from um, Kindle and Kindle was uh, looking um, to get some advice. And she said, you know, her dog has digestive issues. Well, the dog is eating origin kibble. Okay. Um, now, they, she said that uh, acid reflux, burping, regurgitation, uh, the anal glands are not expressing. So we probably see some sloppy poops. But prior to this, she said that her dog was exclusively on Darwin's. Okay. So that is a, a commercial raw. Mm -hmm. And then she said, all of a sudden he got severe diarrhea after her new shipment of food came. So she's not going to feed him Darwin's anymore. But here's the kicker to that. She said, he had just gotten his rabies booster because of prairie of a prairie dog encounter of a prairie dog encounter. So the vet recommended that he get a rabies mm -hmm. booster. And I, I would have to say, I, I don't know that it was the food. It very well could be the food, but it also could be a reaction from this booster. Yeah, and isn't it isn't it interesting how the food's always the first thing that I would say by far the majority of people incriminate the food before they think it they before they look at anything else in the pet's routine. Yeah, and I mean obviously I sell something different than Darwin's, but I can't say it was that food that caused that. Um I certainly would rather see somebody on Darwin's than I would, you know, Origin Kibble. Oh uh, yeah. And I, and I don't know what brand of origin, but I've taken a look and, um, you know, the grain free one is at minimum, a minimum of 30% carbohydrates. So, 
plus, if you look at the ingredients in there, Dr. Jasek, I mean, it's like, what could your dog be um, um, reacting to? Who knows? There's like 60 ingredients in there. Oh yeah, totally. And the synthetic nutrients, I actually just went through that label with a client yesterday. They were feeding that like, before we do anything else, you know, we got to change the food and let's see in that. Cause that so many times can get us, you know, way far down the road as far as improving the pet, because we're eliminating the problem. If the food's part of the problem, you have to change the food. But I, I don't think that, I mean, there's never, I've never seen any like solid evidence that raw food across the board causes problems. I definitely see where kibble causes problems, you know, with all the processed carbohydrates and just all the extra ingredients in there. Like you said, it's, there's so many things in there that can be inflaming the body and causing GI inflammation, but, you know, a conventional vet will say, oh, you need to go in for an intestinal biopsy, which is several thousand dollars now. And it's just a total waste of money, just a total waste of money for the client. Well, and here's the deal. I mean, this, this, this particular, um, email is coming in from Colorado, coming in from Westminster. Okay. We, do we have a prairie dog rabies problem? Why, why are we giving a rabies shot just simply because a dog had an encounter with a, with a prairie dog? And who knows what that was? Like, did they see one on a walk or something? And, you know, (laughs) and, and, and so, so the only two known reservoir species for rabies in Colorado are bats and skunks. It, it really hasn't been found in other wildlife, but you know, this is, again, it's all this fear. Oh, your, your dog was around some wildlife. So now it's at risk for rabies. Well, I got to tell you, if it got exposed to rabies, which I think is like a one in a million chance during that prairie dog encounter, the vaccine isn't going to do any good anyway, after the fact. So I guess they're thinking we'll protect it against future encounters. I, I don't know. There's just so much fear out there and so many things made up that, that just don't make any sense. Rabies, in my opinion, is such a minimal disease risk in Colorado. The only reason to give the shot is if you, you don't want to have to deal with the regulations, you know, you're worried about getting caught without it, then give the shot. But for health, for your pet's health, they're better off without it. Well, my brother's lab, 10-year-old lab, um, who is a duck hunter, okay, black lab, um, she is constantly, and I mean constantly, grabbing the possums off of the fence in the backyard and pulling them down. And and sometimes she kills them, sometimes she doesn't. And um, has my brother run out and decided to get a rabies shot for her? No. Has she been fine? Yeah. And the, the, you know, there's lots of possums in Oklahoma. He's also got lots of bird seed on his fence. Cause he's a big, huge bird watcher, right? He has a beautiful patio. So every day he goes out, he, he tries to get out on his patio at, you know, before the sun rises, watches the birds, you know, and uh, gets himself, you know, in line and uh mentally for the day and um so they they have tons of possums that come walking along and this dog literally gets grabs those possums and yanks them into the yard and um yeah 
So I, I don't know. I, again, it, uh, I was saying on another podcast that here's what I think the problem is, Dr. Jasek. There is no control group in the dog world. So there is a control group now um, that, it, quite frankly, I think is being ignored um, of how healthy are the people who are vaccinated, how healthy are the people that are not vaccinated. But do we have that in the dog world? Not many because so many people just, that's just a part of it. Oh, let's just get the shots. It's just film full of this stuff, you know? So um, my point is, I think it's hard for people to, to step outside of the box and say, I'm going to be in this other control group and see, you know, how healthy my dog can be without all of that. I'm in the human control group for, for not, vac not being um, vaccinated for anything. I, I said, I just decided that was my contribution to society is I'm somebody needs to be in the control group. So I'll do, mm -hmm, I'll do that. <laughs> I think our whole, our whole health team is in that group, <laughs> you know, and um, I don't know, is this, is this new flu shot? Should they call it Flovid? I think they should call it Flovid. Ugh, I know. But yeah, uh, just, I mean, it's just going to make so many, so many people sick. Well, I'll tell you, you know, you talk about a control group, you know, like nobody is going to pay to do that kind of study because the studies are done by the companies that make money off of selling vaccines and pharmaceuticals because studies are expensive. But I can tell you in my practice, I certainly see that pets that are not over vaccinated eat raw diets they are so much healthier. And people say that all the time to me, you know, my gosh, my pet just, you know, has never been, never been healthier and they're, and they're doing great, whether it's, you know, for, you know, wellness, you know, the pet doesn't have a chronic health condition or they do have chronic health conditions and they just get so much better when we, you know, when we change the routine and, you know, if your pet has a reaction to a vaccine for goodness sakes, don't give them another one. Like, don't, don't do that research study on your pet because the next reaction is, is going to be worse. You know, I, I see this sometimes where, you know, we'll have, you know, get really bad itchy skin after a round of vaccines. And then, well, yeah, they did the same thing last year after their vaccinations. Like, Hmm, well, sounds like there's a pattern here. Maybe we shouldn't do that anymore. Right. You know, don't keep giving them and just giving, you know, I hear this from conventional vets too. Oh, we'll just give them some Benadryl before and they'll be fine. Don't do that. If something's insulting your pet's body to the point that it's having this severe reaction to it, don't keep giving them. Use, use your, use your common sense. Don't, don't buy into all this fear. There's just so many stories out there that just simply aren't true. You got that right. You got that right for sure. All right, so I sent you a picture, Dr. Jasek, of a little dog of one of our customers who has a mast cell tumor. Uh, did you get that picture, by the way, on its lip? I just texted it to you earlier uh, when we were talking. Mast cell tumor in between the lip and the nose. Now, they aren't going to do chemo and you can't cut it out. So the question is, what can we do? Um um, this dog is on raw, but unfortunately um, has had, you know, all of its vaccines through all of its life. When we're looking at these mast cell tumors like that, uh, would you say this is a good description that basically it's the body's way of taking all the junk and trying to get it out? 
and it's coming out through the skin and it's being walled off, you know, those, those bad cells get walled off and then the tumors get, um, get, uh, well, then they form a tumor actually. Would you say that's a good, um, description of what these tumors are? I mean, well, I think, I think we don't know exactly what all goes into the body creating tumors, but I think walling off toxins is, is a very high possibility. I mean, I think there's, there's probably more than one factor. Um, the body's toxic and it's unhealthy. So been over-vaccinated, not getting good nutrition, the body can't process the toxins. So what does it do? Tries to wall them off. I mean, I think that, I think that makes sense. I mean, the thing I wouldn't do is poke needles into that thing and get an aspirate um, because I have seen these blow up and in that location right there by the nose, you can't remove those um, without literally taking half of the dog's nose off. And so you really don't want to do surgery. And if that does blow up and start growing, it could interfere with bleeding and or, or with breathing, could start bleeding and interfere with bleeding and that. But, but there's also ways to manage it. You know, you see cases like this too, where we improve nutrition, we do herbs, we do things that can actually help shrink these down and make them manageable. And it does look like it's quite uncomfortable or sore, you know, maybe it's in the way of where this dog eats. So I don't know what the solution would be because it's a little bitty thing, little bitty dog. You know, you can't predict outcomes, right? So we just have to try. And I try, you know, we, we try things based on what my experience has shown me that works. I mean, this is a tough location. I mean, it's a really tough location because if you don't stop that from growing, it is going to interfere with eating and breathing and it, it, they can become a management mess because they start to bleed all over the place. And, you know, you, you just, you have to jump in and try it. I don't give statistics, you know, conventional vets will always give statistics that aren't very good. Well, your dog probably has two to three months to live or something. Um, no, it's all, it's always worth giving it a try, but we just, we can't predict outcomes. We go a few months into treatment program. We'd have a better idea of, you know, what our results could be just depending on, on how the tumor is behaving, but you just kind of have to jump in and try and, and see, and, and what's different too, with a holistic approach, it might take longer, might take a couple months before you see a response. You jump in and do chemo, you might shrink that tumor in a week, but it's going to come back and it's going to come back with a vengeance. Is there anything topical that you can put on to maybe help pain or, um, help it shrink that, you know, of, well, yeah, the, um, the ozonated olive oil. So we have olive oil here that is saturated with ozone and you can buy this online. Anybody can go and just look for ozonated olive oil. There's a couple different companies that sell it. Um, I will actually add in some Chinese herbs sometimes. So there's Chinese herbs that can help break up tumors and we use them orally. Uh, that where the pets will ingest them, but you can also uh, use them topically and that can help. There's some essential oils, frankincense essential oil um, has been known to help reduce the size of tumors or at least keep them from growing. I mean, sometimes, you know, we can't make tumors grow away, go away completely, though that would be great. But if we can make them man more manageable, 
or make them something that the pet can live with and without impacting quality of life. Like if we arrested this tumor right where it is and stopped it from growing, this dog probably could live with it just fine. And that to me is way more realistic than saying, well, we got to make this thing go away. And, and so I think people like to like the tumor gone, right? Just the tumor gone is a good thing. And I would agree with that. But if you do the knee-jerk reaction and go in for surgery and you don't get every little cancer cell in that location, you, you're not going to get good margins. It's, it's almost impossible. And then when they regrow, they regrow with a vengeance. They just come back so much faster and so much more aggressively. So I think you have to be careful about doing that knee jerk to, well, if we just remove the tumor, then we've removed the cancer. You haven't removed the cancer. The cancer is systemic and you have to get to the root cause of why did that cancer show up on this dog in the first place? Because if you don't address those things, this thing comes back, you're, you're done. I've seen it so many times. They, it would just take over that little dog's whole face. I, I've just seen that. And it's just, it's just heartbreaking because if we can intervene with more holistic measures before doing that knee jerk or going to surgery, I think we stand a you know, pretty good chance of managing things like that. Wow. So if, if, if that little dog were in your clinic, would you um, do ozone somewhere around the face? Could you do mm -hmm. under the yeah, skin? You can, you can inject the ozone gas right underneath the skin. So yeah, I would definitely do that. Um, and also the systemic, because I think there's always circulating tumor cells in the body. Once you have a tumor, if it's a malignancy, which this one looks pretty angry. So I'd suspect it is a malignancy of some sort. Um, but we, you know, even if we didn't know exactly, we would treat it like that but we're doing things like ozone. So we're not doing any harm, but I would do like a blood treatment, you know, which is where we draw blood mix the blood with the ozone re-inject it into the body. So we're oxygenating the whole body and we're preventing any circulating tumor cells from taking hold elsewhere in the body. So I would do that, but then yes, you could absolutely treat it um, locally too. Good information. Good information. Um, yeah. Don't poke or prod, but I would imagine if a vet, if they, the, I hope not, but I would think if they've gone into a uh, regular vet, uh, they probably have poked it, don't you think? Do they do they feel like they need to poke every one of those to get some sort of a biopsy? I mean, it's not good no matter what. Right, but I'll tell you the, the way the conventional mindset works is before you can treat anything, you have to name it because there's protocols. The, and the conventional protocols treat diseases and, and conditions. They don't treat pets. I look at the whole pet. And so what type of tumor that is, I don't have to have that information in order to treat that pet. Cause we're going to talk about nutrition and we're going to talk about minimizing vaccines and other pharmaceuticals. And we're going to talk about how can we best treat what's showing up in front of us. I don't have to name that tumor to do that, but on the conventional side, like it, you know, say they went to an oncologist. Well, an oncologist, they have to have a name and they have to have it staged and they have to have all this information because then they plug it into the conventional medicine algorithm and that tells them what, what chemotherapy protocol to use. They're not even looking at the individual pet. It's this, okay, this is the name of what's going on. 
this is the standard of care treatment protocol. They don't even have to use their brains, really. It's all computer. And, you know, we're moving this direction to more automated medicine. You hear about this in people that you'll just like, I don't know, plug into your iPhone and it'll tell you what's going on and what you need to treat it with. Or, you know, there won't even be doctors anymore, um, which is really sad because again, you're just treating conditions. You're not looking at the, at the whole pet and, and treating the whole pet. So conventional medicine, until they name something, they, they don't have a treatment for it. There's not like a general treatment for lumps. We have to know is a massa. Oh, okay. It's a mast cell tumor. Well, what stage is it? I mean, like lymphoma anymore. I mean, there's, I don't know how many different, they identify different cell types and different stages and all this stuff. Like it doesn't really change my treatment protocols because I'm treating my pet. I'm treating, I'm treating the pet. I'm treating the patient and I'm looking at what's going on with that pet and how can I best help that pet. And I talk to the pet parents and what their situation is and what, you know, what's their lifestyle and, you know, how many times can they get in for ozone? You know, we have all these discussions and I help them prioritize and pick a treatment plan that works for their budget and works for them and works for their pet. So we go throughout that, but it's all customized. I don't know. I, one of the things that's disturbed me in veterinary medicine is just this lack of compassion and lack of empathy. And I think the reason practitioners can do that is because they objectivize. Everything is like you said, it's, it's a name. It's not a person with a pet. It's, it's this diagnosis. And all they're doing is treating diagnoses. They're not treating pets. They're not taking the human into consideration. Um, and I think COVID really augmented that because they, you know, people weren't allowed to go in the clinic. So they didn't even have to have like, a real conversation with the person. They just look at the pet, make their diagnosis. Okay, here's the appropriate treatment for that next, please. And that's the way medicine is practiced. And it's pretty sad. I think it points back to what's being injected into their bodies. So um, hopefully that will be looked at. And, and you know, I, I, I reached out to Dr. Judy Mikovits. I don't think it'll ever happen that she will come on the podcast, but you know what I wanted to ask her, Dr. Jacek, because she was saying that from 19, and I don't know if it was 83, whenever Reagan signed in the act, they basically gave other pharmaceutical companies all of their mm -hmm. immunity, mm -hmm. that they have not cleaned up the vaccine since then, right? That all of these different um, monkey cell lines, um, bovine cell lines, all of these different animal cell lines um, are in vaccines. And certainly she was talking about that HIV is in the COVID vax. And so you have to say, uh, do we really want to give dirty vaccines to dogs or cats or horses? Yeah, right. Or, you know, whatever they're giving them out at the zoo. Heck, I don't even know what that is. But it's like, wow, that's very frightening to think that uh, the entire system would be contaminated. And, 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 and so I wanted to ask her now whether she can actually comment on that or whether she would actually ever be able to come on, you know, my podcast. She's super busy. But, uh, yeah, that's what I heard her saying. It was like, oh, my gosh. But yeah. think about it. If you had no liability, no, no liability, um, let's say it was in the pet food side, no liability and you could just you could pets could die and uh, people could bring lawsuits against you and you had no liability. 
wouldn't people just do whatever the heck they wanted to do? I mean, yeah, well, absolutely. I mean, and you know, you, you hear, I, you know, I hear these things on the, on the human side, you know, like when they talk about, you know, um, upcoming COVID boosters where they'll say, well, we, we pretty much made these the same way as we made the, the other ones. So we don't have to test them. You know, we're not going to, or they tested them on like eight mice or something like that. No testing. So these are the same companies. This is the same corporations. We're just a division of these same corrupt pharmaceutical companies. So if that's their approach to human vaccinations, do you think they care what they're putting in pet vaccinations? Of course they don't. Of course they don't. And they make, you know, they make a ton of money treating all these side effects and all of these um, vaccine reactions. You know, I've, I've heard, you know, in people with to get um, myocarditis as a consequence of the COVID shot, especially young people, well, they might, they gave that vaccine away, but how much money do they make treating that, you know, young person's heart for the rest of their life? Might need a heart transplant. I mean, that sounds evil and cynical, but that's how bad it is out there. And do you think they are doing research on these pet vaccines? No, they're not. And all is veter veterinarians, veterinarians that are pushing these vaccines, they're just being fed propaganda from the pharmaceutical companies. There's no independent research. Those vets probably aren't even reading the package inserts. I, I would challenge anybody to ask their vet if they've read the package insert on the vaccine that they want to give their pet and are, are they aware of side effects. That's what informed consent is. And that's what people should be given so that they are fully informed and they can make a decision. Cause I can't tell you how many times I've heard that people come in like, if I'd only known, I, I wouldn't have given my pet that shot. I, I thought this was the best thing. I was told that this is how I keep my pet healthy is giving me shots. And now they're sick and they were not informed of the pros and cons or the risks. And, and I, another thing it's written in our, in the practice code for veterinarians in Colorado, and I can't speak to other states, it is actually written in there that we are supposed to be given informed giving informed consent to our clients before we do procedures. And I, I would venture to say it's hardly ever done. Right. It takes too much time. Mm -hmm. Time is money and mm -hmm. shots are money, but it would be interesting if I sent out a, um, a little survey that said the last time you were in with your, you know, vet and they gave a shot or they gave prescriptions or they did it. Did they do any type of uh, pros versus cons or had you look at the um, what is actually in that shot? Be and, and they would say no, because the majority of the time when people are coming to you and Neely and myself and everybody about things that are going on. And we've asked the question about the vaccines. Do you know if you got a three-way, four-way, six-way, seven-way, nine-way? Yeah. No idea. No, nope, I don't have a clue. So that would tell me that there was no informed consent about that. And uh, because I think the people who listen to this podcast would definitely want that. They just mm -hmm. haven't known to ask because they didn't think they had to ask because they thought it was all safe. Right. Right. Or they'll, they'll say, you know, well, my dog, 
needs a parvo shot. That'll say dog needs a parvo shot. There's very, very few veterinarians that give like just parvo. I mean, I'm one of them because I do monovalent vaccines that just have one component because I think they're safer if we are going to give a conventional vaccine. But that's what we'll say it's a parvo shot. And because I've asked the same question, well, was it a big combination shot? Were there other things in it? And people don't know. They just told me it's the parvo shot. I can guarantee you probably 99% of the time that was parvo, distemper, parainfluenza, possibly lepto, possibly coronavirus. Yeah, there's been a coronavirus vaccine for dogs for a very, very long time, just a mild and intestinal virus. It have, it'll have all these components in, and then maybe they gave a rabies shot along with that and maybe a Bordetella. So yeah, your pet could walk out of there with seven, eight, nine different vaccine components. That's, it's, you know, no surprise to me that these pets react and get sick after that. Well, one of the things that Dr. Mikevitt said was she said, look, there's dog cell lines in these vaccines and dogs have had coronavirus forever. Yeah. Right. So she's like, why are you putting that in your body? You wouldn't do that if you understood. And here's the problem with the human vax is that if you were to have asked what's in this, how could you even know? Because nobody knew the FDA mm -hmm. wanted to keep all that private or the CDC or the, all of those guys for 70 something years. Now, does that raise a red flag in anybody's mind? That it says, sure as heck, sure, sure as heck should. Right. So if I said to a customer, if they came to me and they said, what's in this blend? I said, I can't tell you that for 76 years. <laughs> right. They'd never buy it from you or, or just say, oh, you don't need to know that. It's, it's perfectly safe. What do you need to know what's in it for? You know, right? that's what they're expecting us to do with the vaccines and, and a lot of pharmaceuticals. Just take it on blind faith. You know, people would never do that for raw food, but you'll inject something into the body. At least when the dog eats something, if it, you know, is bad for them, they can puke it back up. They can't get rid of these vaccines. That's, and it, and it just perpetuates ongoing chronic inflammatory disease. I, I would go so far as to say is if you are being sold anything based on fear, like you're doing something because you're afraid of not doing it, you better ask some questions and get another opinion. Don't do it because there's so much propaganda out there and so much selling done just based on fear. Why? Because it works and you get afraid and you want to protect your pet. You do anything for your pet, right? And that's, that's wonderful. But if you're making decisions based on fear, you are not making well thought out logical decisions. Take a step back, say, no, thank you, not today. Go back, take some deep breaths, go for a walk and dig in and do some research and get some other opinions and, and get some other points of views. Don't make decisions because you're afraid of what'll happen if you don't do it. I think that's exactly how they sell things these days. Well, I tell anybody that comes over inquiring about the raw diet, if I hear this crazy fear in them, I say, it's probably not going to work out for you. It probably isn't going to work out for your pet because you will see things. You will believe things that, that aren't really there and it's going to stress you out. So why stress yourself out? You know, um, 
And, and so we we do, we encourage them. We're like, if if a pure raw diet is not something that you can get on board with, and Neely is very animate about this. She's like, e- either get in 100% or don't because it's going to be an issue for you and your pets. And mm-hmm. we will say, go do a cooked food or go do something else. But um, why stress yourself out? You know? Right, right. Exactly. I mean, you know, yeah, if you're not, I mean, some people just aren't comfortable feeding raw. So fine, but maybe do something besides kibble. I mean, realize what the issue is. If you just can't get on board with raw, at least do something besides feed kibble and your pet will be a lot, a lot healthier for it. And if you're not comfortable feeding raw, you know, that's, that's another discussion because there's usually some fallacies there, some false information that is as the reason why people are uncomfortable feeding raw. Absolutely. Hey, before I let you go, I promised someone that I would ask you this question and I, I forgot. So mm-hmm. it's coming in late. What okay. is your take on ovarian sparing spay? So, you know, you don't, you, you leave the ovaries, right? Uh, mm-hmm. You do the spay, um, but you leave the ovaries. What do you think about that? Well, I mean, first of all, I don't think there, there's not data like side-by-side data that shows, okay, you know, here's dogs that have had conventional spays. Here's dogs that have had ovarian sparing spays and are the dogs with the ovarian sparing healthier. I mean, we don't really don't have that data, but what I do is I ask people, okay, what is the reason for you spaying your dog? Um, Because ovarian sparing dogs that have had ovarian 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 spay easy for you to say easy for me to say um they're still going to come into heat you're still going to have male dogs chasing them around they will still try to breed them um they just they can't get pregnant because their uterus is gone okay um you've eliminated the risk of a possible pyometra um later in life but a lot of people want their dog spayed because they don't want to deal with the whole heat cycle and all these other things. A lot of people don't realize that leaving those hormones in, they're going to, it's going to be just like having an intact female, except if they do actually get bred, they can't, they can't get pregnant. So I, you know, I ask people is, is that your goal? Because if you're, you know, want to do ovarian sparing because we're leaving more hormones in, which I agree could be beneficial because we're leaving the body in its more natural state. But a lot of people don't realize the dog's still going to come into heat. There's still all these other things to deal with. My personal opinion is if you're going to do that, why not just leave them intact? Because you pretty much have the same stuff to deal with. True, the risk of getting an infection in the uterus, a pyometra at some point is gone because there is no uterus there to get infected. But I also think if we keep our pets healthy, good diet, all the things we talk about, you know, the uterus is a natural part of the anatomy. We should be able to keep the reproductive system healthy. There's always going to be risks of something go on with your pet. They're going to get sick or injured. You know, there's stuff that can happen we can't prevent everything, but I personally, like if it was me, I always think about, okay, if I had a dog, I had a, you know, 
female dog, year and a half, two years old, trying to make this decision. Do I want to get her spayed or not? And I'd be thinking through that. My school of thought is if I'm going to do ovarian sparing, I would probably just leave her intact. If you, if you just don't want to deal with the heat cycles and just for management. And the other thing is like, if you need to board your dog and your dog comes into heat before you're ready to go on vacation, a lot of kennels won't take them. And I've known people that had to change their plans. That isn't going to change with the ovarian sparing. Um, so you have to think through what are your objectives. My feeling is if you can do that, leave them intact or just and wait till they're older. I mean, the absolute most crucial thing is don't spay, the, spay and neuter too young. You know, wait until they're over a year. Possible. I know a lot of rescues do it when they're really young and you get them already spayed or neutered. But if you're making the decision, at least wait till they're older. And then, you know, if, if, if you just want to know hundred percent, your dog can't get pregnant and you're okay with the rest of that, then maybe that is a good choice for, for me personally, I would probably just leave her intact. So when you say she's going to go into a heat cycle, even if you've taken uh, left the ovaries, is she going to bleed? They can have some discharge. It's usually not as strong. And again, I, again, I don't have a lot of data, but I do have a few clients that have had this done and they tell me that the heats don't appear like quite as strong. They don't um, maybe bleed quite as much, but they still, you know, they still swell, all this still swells. They still go through, you know, if, if they had any behavioral changes when they come into heat, they still, they still go through all that. It's pretty much a heat cycle because the ovaries, I mean, some hormones do come out of the uterus, but most of the cycle is driven by the ovaries and, and that's still there. So it will shift the heat cycle a little bit, but you're still going to have pretty much a typical heat cycle. So when I was talking with this um, customer, really the issue for them is this, the two uh, biggest issues are they don't want to deal with the blood anymore with having mm -hmm. the dog wear panties. Mm -hmm. but they would like for them to be as healthy as possible. So those are the two criteria that they want. Yeah. Well, again, I, I, you know, there's no guarantee she's not going to bleed. I mean, there's, you know, if, if any of the, you know, discharge is coming from the uterus, obviously that's gone. So there may not be quite as much, but they can still, you know, bleed from the vaginal wall. So there'd be no guarantee that that would um, completely go away. Why did that come about, this ovarian sparing surgery? Oh, I think because, well, first of all, I think they do it in people. So people probably extrapolated that. But, you know, they. I think there's, you know, people just intuitively kind of think that, oh, well, my pet's going to be healthier, the more intact the body is and, and hormonally intact, which there, there's probably some validity to that. But then the dog, you know, people, people also want the convenience of not having the dog coming into heat and, and things. So that's where people need to make those, those decisions. I mean, everybody's different, but to me, I mean, dogs typically come into heat twice a year. It's not like a, a human where it's a monthly thing. So is it that big of a deal to put some panties on your dog a couple times a year? I don't know. To well, me, it's not for us. Not that, 
not that big of a deal. It's not for us. And Lazzie will be four, actually, probably this week, I think on the 20th. She'll be four years old and she is still intact. Um, and, uh, you know, her heat cycle does last probably 21 days. I mean, it lasts a long time. Um, but we have about 15 pairs of cute, really cute panties. <laughs> I mean, Do like the days of the week on them or something. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, the, the, there's like the cheetah ones and there's the red ones sure. and there's the pink ones. And, and, you know, sometimes she will go outside when we don't see her and she's got her panties on and she poops her peas in her panties. So, okay, we got that every now and then. But um, but that's our decision, right? We haven't decided yet whether uh, she will be bred or not, but we want to make sure that all of her hormones and that she's in good shape. And, you know, she's in great shape and she's still in her shits and training. And I do think that many times when these dogs are spayed, then they kind of, you know, get a little overweight and certain things. Um, but anyway, that's our decision. And it's not tough for us. We don't we don't have a problem, you know, changing those panties out. So to each his own, but that is great information. And I do think for anybody who's thinking about, uh, there, there's a lot of things that they need to discuss with you, Dr. Jasek. Number one, the vaccine issue, what, uh, when they take their dog in to be spay or neuter so that they actually know what the law is um, so that they can pick the right clinic and, and right facility. Also, what... Um, what may happen and what may not happen and what the, what the misconceptions might be. So get over to a H a vet.com. Dr. Jasek does a lot of zooming um, and a lot of, of phone work so she can talk to you. Just get in um, on her site, make sure that you sign up and get yourself in the queue uh, because there's just not enough of you, Dr. Jasek. There's just not, we're trying to create, more Dr. Jason. Maybe we'll just have to start cloning me or something. <laughs> right. Um, but there's, you know, and again, any vets or any vets that you know that are leaning on that holistic side that um, are around the country, I think it would be great for them to get in touch with Dr. Jasek and to talk to her. And um, because we need more, we need more out in the world because we need more healthy pets because we need pets to be here with us longer here at Raw Dog Food and Co. Your pet's health is our business and friends, don't let friends feed kibble. We will see you next week, everybody. Bye-bye. Oh, snap. Find out how you can start your dog on the road to health and longevity. Go to rawdogfoodandcompany.com, where friends don't let friends feed kibble and where your pet's health is our business. Just snap.